Well, if you've been watching what's happening with this series, you know that this morning my topic is guilt-free living. And uh, I'm going to be in a chapter, Romans chapter 8. I'm going to get to a verse in just a little while, Romans chapter 1. And I have to tell you, if you said to me, Mark, you can only preach out of one chapter for the rest of your ministry, uh, I'd know that quickly unless the Holy Spirit told me otherwise, Romans chapter 8. If you said to me, Mark, you can only have one verse to preach from, I would know in a heartbeat what, what to preach. And that's Romans chapter 8, verse 1. So we're at ground zero of what I love to talk about this morning, and my topic is guilt-free living. And if you come here today and you say, Mark, I know about guilt, you're going to love today's message because I really believe, just like you sang a few moments ago, if there's ever a word from God that can set you free from guilt, it's this message. Let's talk about guilt for a moment. I don't like guilt. There are a lot of emotions that I, that I have just like you, but there's one emotion that I absolutely hate, and that's the emotion of guilt. Because guilt says, it's my fault, and I can't find anybody else to blame. Have you been there? I mean, where, you know, something just really goes wrong, something goes badly, somebody gets hurt, and you look around, you try to find somebody else to pin it on. That's human emotion, right? Human nature. And we look around, and there's nobody to, to, to blame. And we have to look in the mirror and say, it's me, I'm at fault. And it's a strange thing, because you would think that guilt would make us, you know, run to God, but guilt makes us do just the opposite. You know, the old-timers used to talk about something called conviction. Conviction means I know I've done wrong, but I'm going to take it to God. That's a different thing altogether from guilt. You know, on the night that Jesus was arrested, two of his disciples did something very bad. Judas sold Jesus, and Peter lied and said he didn't know him, and, and cursed. Both guys did something very bad, but it's what happens next with those two guys that tell us the difference between what the old-timers called conviction and guilt. Because Peter eventually came back and he said, Lord, I'm sorry, I don't know, I mean, I don't know, I really love you, I'm so sorry, I don't know how I did this. And he got right, and you know, a few days later he preached at Pentecost and thousands of people got saved and the rest is history. But what did Judas do? Judas went out and found a tall tree and a short rope and he hung himself. That is what guilt makes us do. Guilt makes us feel ugly. Guilt makes us feel like it's our fault and it just, it just disturbs and poisons all the relationships of our lives. If you feel guilt and you're married, I can tell you that guilt that you feel is plaguing and poisoning your marriage relationship. You may not think it is. You may say, Mark, I keep that in the back closet of my life and I don't visit it very often. I want to tell you, you can't do that with guilt. There's just something about that. It is like this creeping poison that just seeps through every fabric of our lives. If you're a parent today and you feel guilt, maybe feel guilty about the way uh, you've were brought up or some of the things that you did when you were young and you just have guilt, it will affect your relationship with your children. And then the next thing that will happen is when we feel guilty, what do we want? We want other people to feel guilty. And I'm just thinking about this because we just got through the holidays. And I, I, I don't know of any other time of the year where guilt is leveraged as much as the holidays, right? I mean, because there are people that they simply try to control other people by reminding them of what they've done wrong, and they leverage guilt. And, and, and remember this. Here, here, let me just give you an axiom to deal with. If you ever are around somebody who uses guilt to leverage your actions, you know you're, in a you're around a person who is controlled by guilt. It's just, it's, that's the way it is. You can say, well, man, Mark, that person makes me feel guilty. Trust me, that, that person feels immense guilt because that's the currency they trade in. They understand guilt. But I want you to understand something very clearly today, that even though God is a holy God and you and I are sinners and we have a dark side as we saw last week, as amazing as this sounds, God wants you to live your life guilt-free. And you say, well, wow, Mark, God wants me to be guilt-free. That doesn't sound very religious. Well, you're right. It's not very religious. But then I don't, I, I hate religion. 
I absolutely despise religion. Religion is just man's feeble attempts to try to find God. The Bible is the story of God's attempt to find me, God's desire to find me. So let's talk about that for a moment. What produces guilt in our lives? I, I don't think most of us ever get down to the level where we really apprise the, the, the issue or ask the question of what is it that actually produces guilt in me? Because somebody will say, well, Mark, I feel guilty when I do something wrong. A little more complex than that. Let, let, me, let me throw a few thoughts at you and, and see what you think about these because I, I think when I get through talking this morning, you're at least going to have some ideas or maybe some questions to ask about the guilt that you may feel in your life. I think guilt starts... When we're cognizant of the fact that God has a law out there, you know, when you go to Exodus 20 and you can read 10 pieces of God's law, and there's more to it than that, but we know that there is a great, holy, magnificent God out there, and God has a law. And boy, I'm really wandering here today. Would you just give me about a, a, a 30 second sidetrack, and I promise I'll get right back. I really do believe that's the reason why so many people believe in things like evolution. It's not that the, the preponderance of evidence leads us to believe that. It's just that if I ever admit the fact that there is a God out there who's big enough to create all that I see, then it's the secondary and tertiary question that's going to hit me because I'm going to say, what does he expect of me and what kind of accountability is he going to hold me to? That's why people believe in evolution. It's not that the evidence is out there. It's just that second and third question that they have to ask themselves. But, you know, I, I know that there is a God out there, and God has a law. And, and we said in Exodus 20, you see 10 pieces of it. You know, some of that law says, God is saying, you, 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 don't, you won't have any gods before me. I, I want to be first. No other gods. And then God said, don't make anything that becomes a God for you. And that's a big one in our culture today because we create all kinds of things, and we give it priority over God. And an idol is simply this. Idol is anything that you give priority to above God. And then God said, you know, there's to be a day that you keep holy and that you worship and and, you know, don't take the Lord's name in vain. And, by the way, most of us completely misunderstand what that means. A lot of times people think that if you take the Lord's name in vain, that's using a curse word. It's putting God in conjunction with some curse word, like D-A-M-N or something, and you put God with that, and that's taking God's name in vain, and that's a sin, but that's not what God's talking about here. What God's talking about is doing what you want to do and putting his name behind it. It would be like taking, taking your company credit card and going out and charging clothes or something that you want to buy for yourself. That's what God's talking about. I mean, there are people, there are religious people, there are pastors and preachers that take God's name in vain because they do what they want to do and they stick God's name on it and, and authenticate it that way. You know, God says that we are to honor our parents. God says, you know, don't lie, uh, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't kill. You know, there's God's law. We know that God has a perfect law. And so guilt, I think, starts with our awareness that God has this law out here spinning in the universe, and we don't, we don't obey it like we should. But here, let, me, let me throw something at you that you may have never thought about before, because I think most of us have thought about what I just presented. Yeah, I feel guilty because God has got this law, and I know that I don't obey it. But Paul says this in Romans chapter 7, verse 23. We covered this last week. He said, I see another law. Now, we know that God has a law, but Paul, where do you see this other law? I mean, where, where is this law? Interestingly, in verse 23, he says, this law is in me. It's in my dark side. And my dark side's got rules. And my dark side says, here are the rules that you have to follow. And there are only three rules in the dark side. You and I have this dark side, and there are three rules that this, that this law screams out at us. I don't think most of us ever consider this. Now, in the, God, in the epistle of 1 John, the Bible tells us what the three rules are the three house rules of your dark side it's this if it makes me feel good do it rule number two is if i see something i want find some way to get it 
And rule number three is, no matter what happens, I have to come out on top. I have to come out being the big shot. Now, you got a law. Paul said, I see that law in me, and it fights against me. It fights against my mind because Paul is saying, I really want to do what is right. But, man, out come those three rules. You know, if it makes me feel good, do it. If I see something that I want, go out there and get it. And i got to come out on top no matter what happens. Well, now we have a problem because we have God's law over here, and then we have our law. And the problem is that God's law breaks our laws, and our laws break God's laws. You know, God says, don't have any God be- other gods before me. And we say, mm, that breaks rule number three, because rule number three says, I have to come out on top. God says, don't covet what belongs to your neighbor. And you say, that breaks rule number two. If I see something I want, I got to get it. And then there's the law that says, God says, don't, don't commit adultery. And we say, well, that might make me feel good. That breaks, that breaks rule number one. So here we get in this conflict. You ever go to a little league game, you watch this kid hit the ball, and he's rounding third base up in the stands. You know you have all these prima donna parents up there, and, 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 and some of them are saying, you know, come on home, come on home. And then you got them saying, stay, stay, stay. Do you ever see the look on that kid's face when he hits third base? That's you and me. Because here we are, we're running the race of life, and God is saying, these are my rules, and obey my rules. And we're saying, okay, I want to obey God's rules. But then the flesh says, oh, wait a minute. You know, if you see something you want, you need to get it. And if it makes you feel good, do it. And at all costs, you got to come out on top. And there we are. Now, we might rock on and live life that way if it were not for one thing. I believe that God has placed in every one of us a sense of intuitiveness that if we don't obey God's law, it's not going to end well for us. Don't, don't you think everybody feels that? I mean, I think even people who are agnostic feel that. I hear it. I mean, it's like, you know, I'm doing what I want to do, and I'm, you know, I'm using, and I'm sleeping around, and, and I'm doing all these things, but man, I just, sometimes somewhere in my life, I'm going to have to find some way to start syncing up with God's law. Now, a few moments ago, I told you I despise religion. Let me tell you why I despise religion. I don't say that lightly. Here's why I despise religion. Religion is my attempt or anyone's attempt to take that dark side with its set of rules and try to obey God's rules. That doesn't work well. See, I talk to people sometimes, are you going to heaven? I'll ask them, oh yeah, I think I'm going to heaven because I'm a pretty good person. You know, the, the, the issue is there, they're saying, I'm taking my dark side and I'm going to try to find some way to discipline it and, and twist it so that I can obey God's law. But those bridges just never meet. In fact, Paul has the most astounding thing to say. Some of you were here last week when I talked about the dark side or maybe you're here at Christmas Eve when we started this thing up and Paul had said in Romans chapter 7, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do are the things that I do. I mean, if you thought that was astounding, I want you to think about what Paul is going to say next. Because he's going to tell us something that happens when we take our old nature, the dark side, and we try to find some way to obey God's law because we don't think it's going to end well. That sounds good on paper, but the most unusual thing happens when we try to do that. Let me, let me give you just a little bit of a background story that made me think about this. Uh, all of our boys are very allergic to any kind of drug that contains sulfur. We did not know that. Mary Alice and I did not know that when our boys were very young. But I remember uh, Jonathan, I think, got, got sick. He got some sort of bronchial infection or whatever. We went to our doctor. The doctor wrote a script for uh, an antibiotic, very, you know, very basic antibiotic. It's good. It's effective with most people. Great drug. But I remember Jonathan had a horrible reaction to that drug. He scared me to death. 
I can still see him as he lay on his bed, just almost lifeless. His body was covered with, with red welts. I mean, he had a horrible reaction to that drug. Now, here's what's interesting about that. It wasn't the doctor did the wrong thing. Doctor had no, we, didn't tell, we didn't tell the doctor that Jonathan was allergic because back then we didn't know. And beyond that, you know, this doctor, he, he, he was schooled and he, he knew medications and he wrote an appropriate script. He wrote a, an appropriate prescription that was right. And we went down to the pharmacy and that pharmacist did his or her very best to make sure that, that he or she did exactly what the doctor asked. And we brought that prescription home. And in good faith and in hopes, high hopes, we gave it to our son. But then he had a bad reaction. Now, what Paul is going to tell us here is that when we take the person that we were born to be with all of its dark side and those three rules that scream out of us, and we say, you know what, I don't, if I don't obey God, this is not going to end well, so I'm going to have to take who I am, and I'm going to have to find some way to obey God's law. Paul's going to say this, God's law is like that prescription. It's right, and it's good, and it's appropriate, and it's the right thing to do. But the issue is our flesh has a bad reaction to God's law. It is the most unusual thing in the world because it sounds like the smartest thing that we can do is to find some way to subjugate that old nature and bow before the law of God and say, okay, now God, I'm going to obey what you say. But the issue is we have a bad reaction to God's law because what happens at that point is when we take that old person and bring it up to the law of God and that old person hears God's rules, the very next thing out of the old person's mouth is, you can't make me do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to rebel. Now, you say, well, Mark, I don't know about that. Listen to Romans 7. Let me take a moment to read this to you. Paul says, but sin, verse 8, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment produced in me every kind of covetous desire. When the commandment came, sin sprang to life, and I died. Look at this. This is amazing. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. Now, let's think about our nature for a moment. Let's unscrew the halos, all right? Because we don't, we don't just come here to, to do church. I mean, this is, this is life stuff here. I mean, I want to make sure you walk out of here with some strategies that can transform your life by the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's just get real honest with ourselves. What is our nature when we see a rule? Our nature is how close can I get to the edge? And some of us if you've got my personality, some of us are saying sometimes, you can't make me do it. I'm not going to do that, and you can't make me. Now, and I, I've, I've grown a lot in that, and thankfully the Lord is, I'm going to talk about how the Lord comes in our lives and helps us, and thankfully, if it weren't for him, I'd be a mess, and I'm pretty much of a mess even with him. But I, 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 <laughs> uh, this, you know, this weekend, I get in my, my car, and I'm driving over here, and I get on K96, and K96, the speed limit says it is 65 miles per hour. Is that right? Am I right? All right. Now I'm saying, <clears throat> now you know what? If I drive five miles over that or four miles over that, maybe I won't get stopped. Now, I mean, just, just being honest here, right? I mean, I, you say, well, man, I, now I know what kind of pastor I have. Yeah, that's right. That's the kind of pastor you have. Man, I swing that little cruise up, and I hit 69, and I know I probably have some patrolmen here today. I'm going to be very good on the way home, all right? <laughs> now, what I find interesting about that is this. If there were no speed limit on K96, I don't know 
I might drive 45 miles an hour. I doubt that, but... <laughs> who was it, Seeger, who said, I can't drive 55? But I don't know what I drive. Maybe, maybe I drive 45, maybe I drive 55, but once there's a law there, I, my, my, my dark side that's got those three rules says, hey, we might push this thing a little bit. There's just something about our dark side that has a bad reaction to God's law. And, that's, and there's no wonder that Paul gets to the end of Romans chapter 7 and he makes this astounding statement. We're talking about one of the greatest men in history and he's trying to say, I got this dark side with his three, three rules and God's got this law and, and our bridges just don't meet. And I tried to do God's thing on my own and it didn't happen and I had a bad reaction to God's law. So in verse 25 he says, what a wretched man I am. I mean, have you ever felt that before? I mean, when you tried to do right and things were wrong and maybe you found yourself ever worse off than when you first started trying to obey God, how many of you have said, what a wretched man I am, what a wretched woman I am, I don't think I'm ever going to change. And that's what Paul said. In fact, he said, i got to check and see how much time I have left this morning. Paul said, I don't know who's going to deliver me from the body of this death. Now, Real quick, I, didn't, I, don't, I don't know if I have time to tell you this, but I'll probably slip in real fast. Romans could, could be very grotesque when it came to, to capital punishment, especially when they wanted to brutalize some kind of enemy. They would do something extraordinary. Sometimes they would take a corpse and bind it to the body of the living person. And as that corpse would decay, it would infect the living person so that the living person would die. That is the expression. That is what Paul referenced here when he said, who will deliver me from this body? The way Paul saw it was he had a dark side that was dead, and it was bound to a living person. And he was saying, this is just killing me because I got these three rules that just eat me up from the dark side. You know, if you see something, take it. If it feels good, do it. And you got to come out on top. And then I see God's law over here, and I know intuitively I'm not keeping God's law. And he's saying, I'm a wretch, and who's going to deliver me from this dead body? And now that takes us into my favorite chapter in the Bible. Because Paul is going to now introduce a third law. You say, well, Mark, I thought there's, you know, there's the law of God and there's the law of the dark side, but now there's going to be a law that's just going to blow everything else off the road. Are you ready for this? Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 2, through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life. What did you have, what were you born with, Paul? I was born with the law of sin and death, those three rules. And then there's God's law over here that I can't keep, God's ten laws. But he comes along and says, but the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do. See, that 65 uh, speed limit sign out there on K96 cannot make me obey it. Now, I can get in trouble, I can get a ticket, I can have to pay a fine, I can stand before a judge. But at the end of the day, that sign cannot make me obey. And it's not that God's law is weak. The problem is I'm weak. Let me look at this one more time. For what the law was powerless to do. Somebody could say, well, Mark, I'm going to be good and I'm going to go to heaven. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature. That's the dark side. God did. God did. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the Spirit. 
You know, you think about the things that we do wrong. There are only four things you can do about wrong in your life. Let me just lay them, out, lay them out for you here. You say, well, man, Mark, I've got some stuff in my life that's not pretty. We'll join the crowd, and I do too. There are four things you can do with bad stuff in your life. Number one is you can never do it in the first place. How many of you are too late for that bus? Number two, you can undo it. How's that work? I've never found a way to turn back time and undo something. Okay, most of us are pretty wasted with the first two, right? Number three. You can pay for it yourself. And I assure you, you don't want to do that. God has a perfect heaven for perfect people. And he made a place for the devil and his angels called, we call it hell of the lake of fire. And there's only two places to go when this life is over. And if you've got sin in your life, you can't go to heaven. Guess where the other place is? If you want to pay for it yourself, there's only one place to go. That's the third option. Are you ready for number four? Somebody else can pay. Somebody else can pay. You want to know why we sing. You want to know why we get excited. You want to know why Lance moves around up here with joy and tries and, and, and calls us. And why this worship team behind us and over here on the floor, why they get so excited is because somebody else paid. And we don't have to, I mean, give him glory this morning. <laughs> now I get to my favorite verse in the Bible. You ready for this? Like I said, if you told me I only have one verse to preach, this would be it right now. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is now, not when we get to heaven, not when we die, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now you give me one sentence to preach the rest of my life, and that's the one I want right there. There is no condemnation, and don't overlook this prepositional phrase, to those who are in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? That means I'm identified with him. You know, I mean, here's the thing. Satan comes along and tells me what I've done. I'm saying, hey, don't worry about me. I'm, I got a hold of his coattail. I'm just running through with him. He's run the table. I'm going after him. There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Every once in a while, court TV or whatever, you see some defendant who's standing there at the table with his attorney, and the jury comes back in, and the judge has said now, well, jury, have you reached a verdict? Do you ever watch that defendant stand there, maybe at a murder trial? And you know if that jury comes back and says guilty, this person could go to jail for the rest of his life, or maybe even to, the, to execution. Have you ever thought about how much difference there is with just one word? Not. I mean, when that jury comes back and say, we, the jury, find the defendant not guilty. They can't put handcuffs on that guy anymore. They have to set him free. He can walk down the steps of that courthouse, a free man, a free woman. That person can go back into life and live without any charge against them. And that is what happens when we go into the courtroom with God. God is the judge. His son, Jesus Christ, has paid for our sins. And God looks down at us and says, God finds you not guilty. There is no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ. Because the only way that you could be condemned is for God to condemn his son, and that ain't going to happen. <laughs> there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, does that mean those people didn't sin? Absolutely not. Because those people God's talking about in Romans chapter 1, they were born with the dark side with the three rules. And they were just like you and me. But what happens is they got somehow connected with Jesus Christ, and they got on the fourth plan where somebody else paid for their sins. And it's not, here's the thing, this is so sweet, I never know how to preach this, but I'm going to try. 
You know, when O.J. Simpson stood at the bar and, and they said, we, we find you not guilty, he walked out and he was acquitted. Most of us think he probably still is guilty, right? Who knows? But if he is guilty, he walks with that every day of his life. The court, the jury found him not guilty, but if he is guilty, he carries that with him. You know what? God doesn't want you to be that way. God doesn't want you to walk out of the courtroom and say, I got acquitted. I really am guilty of all those things. But, you know, God has sort of swept it under the rug. That is not the case. When Jesus died, he paid for your sins so that you would not be guilty. He took your sin on him. And you don't just walk out, this is great, you don't just walk out acquitted, you walk out guilt-free. I love that. That is how God wants you to live. Oh, I could preach another hour. I guess I am in a little while. Now, you guys who've listened to me speak for all these years, you know I'm not a normal preacher, and I don't like, I'm not a great theologian by any stretch. I want it to get practical, right? I mean, if I can't take it to work with me tomorrow, if I can't take it home with me this afternoon, I don't know. It's got a whole lot of impact in me. So let me get real practical with you for a moment. What does this mean? Well, simply this. When you invite Jesus Christ into your life and you ask him to become your Savior and Lord, then he made a payment for your sins, and you're birthed into God's family, and you become God's child. But like I told you last week, you still have the dark side, don't you? I mean, you can kneel at this altar or kneel in your bedroom or, or pray in your car and receive Jesus, and you say, wow, praise God, I'm saved, I'm forgiven, I'm innocent. But you go home to those three rules, don't you? Ah, if it feels good, do it. If I see what I want, take it. And I got it come out on top. Now, now you've got three laws at work, right? Because you've got God's law way out over here, but you're not worried about that anymore because Jesus paid for that. He's taken care of that. He's mastered that. And then you got the law of the spirit of life that says that you live like a believer now because righteousness has been transferred into your account, and that's sweet, and we love that. But unfortunately, we still have that law of sin and death. It's there. It's going to be there till we die. So here's what, something like this happens. You're here today and you're having a great time and, man, God's word is sweet and rich, but you go home and something goes wrong at home and, and you know, here comes the, the temptation. Or maybe you're going to go out there in the workplace or, or maybe you're struggling with pornography and, you, and you, there's your monitor and, and your computer and it's telling you to do all kinds of things. What do you do at this point? I'm going to give you one of the sweetest verses in the Bible. If you ever had a, tat, a verse to tattoo, please don't tattoo, okay, this. But I'm just saying if you ever want to to tattoo a verse on you, tattoo this one on you, okay? Romans chapter 8, verse 12. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Now, see, before I got saved, I was rebellious against God because I was saying, I'm not going to do it and you can't make me. I want to, this sounds radical today, I want to encourage you to go home and get rebellious, but get rebellious with your dark side. And the next time your dark side says, hey, you got to have this because you got to come out on top, you just tell your dark side, I'm not going to do it and you can't make me. I mean, the next time somebody gets on your nerves and you're, and you're about ready to tell them what you think or you're about ready to send them a signal somehow, you just tell your dark side, I'm not going to do it and you can't make me because I'm under no obligation to obey the dark side anymore. Remember this, there is a law inside of you. It is an oppressive law and it leads to death, Romans 8 says. And you just got to tell you, you know, there's no magic, there's no magic plan. There's no 12-step program to this one thing, even though there are some 12-step programs that are great. But with this one here, you just say to your dark side, I'm not going to do it and you can't make me. I'm under no obligation to do what you tell me to do. I love that. Really don't tattoo that on you, but if you ever were going to tattoo a verse, that'd be the one to put on you, all right? 
All right, two more things. Great day. This is good stuff. Two more things. I'm going to talk to a certain group of you who come to worship. You've been going to church all your life. And, and you, you're, you're wonderful people. You're awesome people. And you love the Lord. But deep down inside, you feel like church has still got to be something painful. Oh, man. Man, Pastor, you really stepped on my toes today. Boy, that was good. Man, I just feel awful today. I'm so glad I went to church. Some of you guys really have trouble at Messiah, and I can understand why. Like Lance said, we have too much fun. And it's like, oh, God, I believe Jesus paid for my sins, but I think i got to still feel awful about this. I had a great friend go to lunch with me this week. I love him so much. We're great friends, and we have wonderful fellowship together. And when we talk, man, it's like time just, I mean, we swap stories, and we talk about what's going on in each other's lives and careers and families and what God's doing in our lives and our dreams. And we were, we were eating lunch this week, and, and the server came by with a check, and he got it for our kids. And so he, he bought my lunch. Now, can you imagine what would happen at that moment? If after all that great time we had together, I put my hands and face in my hands, and he said, what's the matter, Mark? And I said, oh, I feel terrible. Man, I'm thinking about that tuna salad that I had. Oh, that wasn't free. And that Diet Coke, man, I think I had three or four of them. After a while, he'd say, man, Mark, I wish I hadn't invited you to lunch. You're making me feel terrible. I mean, don't you understand that the joy of Jesus Christ is in seeing you guilt-free? I mean, listen to what the Bible says. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. That's what kept him on the cross. I mean, he wasn't dying on the cross. So you say, oh, Lord, I feel terrible. I've been in church today. He wanted to see the joy on your face. I mean, what he saw a little while ago when you were standing up worshiping him, praising him, and rejoicing in the fact that we are free, that's what kept him on the cross. Hey, you know what? You're miserable. Because what will happen is you'll go out in the rest of the world and you'll have that mis- uh, guilt and everything. And somebody's saying, man, if that's what being a Christian is, I sure don't want any of that. I got that already. The world already knows guilt. What they don't know is freedom. What they don't know is joy and peace and the Holy Spirit. That's what they don't know. So God wants you living guilt-free. You say, well, Mark, it's still hard. Because I know God has forgiven me. That's my theology. That's part of my theological repertoire. But boy, I sure don't feel that way. Well, you know, God doesn't want you to go by your feelings. We have a brand new series coming up called It. I can't wait to get started. We'll save that for another time. But let me just tell you this. How you live flows out of faith. It doesn't flow out of feeling. It's always, let me tell you, here's how the train, is: the first car is fact, the second car is faith, and the third car is feeling. The fact is, I, my sins have been paid for. I mean, I am guilt-free according to what we read tonight. There is no, con- this morning, there is no condemnation of those who are in Jesus Christ. That's fact. Faith says, I embrace that. And when I embrace that, I feel good. 
But the challenge is in living that out. Because see, some people say, well, Mark, I don't, this is dangerous stuff you're preaching today because people are going to hear this and they're going to think, wow, there's no condemnation. They're going to go out and live all kinds of rowdy lives. Friend, I love you with all my heart. You don't even have a clue about grace and you sure don't have a clue about Jesus yet. You understand religion, you're back there with the old person trying to do God's rule, but you have never met Jesus yet. Because if you met Jesus, here's what you would understand. It is not the law that makes us holy, it is grace that makes us righteous. It is in understanding that I'm not the person that I used to be. I have been adopted as a child of the king, so therefore I should be living like a prince or a princess. That's what produces holiness. Now here's what the Bible says. Man, I've got to get through. I know... This is awesome stuff. They show me lights up there. See them? That means I've got so much time left. And then they, they get brighter and darker as we go. Now everybody's going to be turning around and saying, oh, there it is right there. It's red. That means I'm in a lot of trouble. Real quick. You're saved because the Bible says God took the righteousness of Jesus Christ and he transferred it to your account. Now the issue is how do I live? I'm never going to be a millionaire. I'm like most of you. I make it week to week. But suppose somebody decided to transfer, a rich person decided to transfer $10 million and Oh, we're talking. Let's make it $20 million, okay? <laughs> well, let's say some rich person tried to transfer $20 million into my account. And it's there. At that point, I am a millionaire. It doesn't matter how much I earn or how, how, how good I am with finances. At the moment, $20 million is transferred into my account. I am a millionaire. may not deserve it. But if it's been transferred there, that is who I am. But you know, one of the challenges that you and I might have is to begin living like a millionaire, especially if we don't know the money's in the account. Because you might be having a garage sale to pay some bills. And somebody come along and say, what's the matter with you? You got $20 million in your account. And you say, well, I, I don't know, that's just kind of theological. No. I guarantee you one thing. I, you may have a halo on this morning, but if somebody transferred $20 million into your account and you found out about it, I think you'd start living like a millionaire. And that's all I'm saying this morning. The righteousness of Jesus Christ has been transferred into your account. Start living like a child of God. And you tell your dark side, I'm not going to do it and you can't make me because I'm under no obligation to obey those three rules anymore. And the power of God will come upon your life and you'll know what it's like to really be in a relationship with God. That is guilt-free living.